Wow. You're gonna like this. Oh, no, I'm not. Cause there is no goddamn middle. This is not unlike ancient Rome, by the way. Not so much the family circus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, um, I did, when I did Mary Shelley, I had the same issue with necromancy. A lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. I know. Okay. I understand that. And, but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. Because eerie guy guys. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. You were audible last season. It just, most of it was you slamming the table. As, as <laughs> the, the Romanists at the table. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little bit of Latin. You have a sword rat. I'm not Ed Blaylock. He's a middle school his social science teacher with a smattering of English, uh, as he likes to say. And he's doing that presently. And I, myself, am not that. I'm, I'm not working until next week. So I'm here uh, recording an extra episode with our guest, uh, Mr. Gabriel Cruz. Gabriel, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, thank you, not Ed. Um, I'm having a good time. And uh, I am sad that Ed couldn't be here uh, because it's always a, a joy to talk to him. But as yeah. I've stated in a previous episode, um, you have maintained equilibrium by replacing one surly bearded Catholic with another. <laughs> as 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 is written. Uh, so uh, let's see. Um, you know, let's just jump right into it because people are probably dying to hear more about Speedball, uh, as as I've been told by my friend, my friends who are Iron Man fans. And they're out and proud about it. I'm like, that's you shouldn't be. But OK. You know, uh, you try to have some room for plurality in your life and allowing for the different lifestyles of other folks. But yeah, that's a peculiar choice. <laughs> it's it's like saying Coca-Cola is your favorite. What's wrong with that? Because of their lobbying. Like, oh, like, oh, no, listen, I can't enjoy a refreshing Coca-Cola without knowing actively in the forefront of my mind that they've <laughs> hired uh, mercenaries to kill union leaders in South America. That's the only way that I can right. find it refreshing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's classic that way. <laughs> it's true. It's just like that pickle company that did the same thing in Greenland. Uh, they killed off a bunch of natives. It's Vlasic that way. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> You're like, oh God, is he gonna make a pickle pun? I may, son. I may. It's jarring, but no. For Coke Zero or for the uh, for Coke Zero, they tried just breaking the kneecaps of the union leaders, but it didn't have the same uh, effect. Didn't uh, have the anyway. same kick. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, let's see. When last we talked, we had just left off with Guantanamo Bay, um, which is still somehow uh, cheerier than what we just talked about. Uh, So uh, then we get to Spider-Man issue 533, uh, where Peter starts to feel the sting of his choices. You know, he's 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 out now. He's now Peter Parker. I am Spider-Man. I've been Spider-Man since I was 15. And not everybody likes the fact that he was unmasked. It turns out there is a issue of like he was an icon for people and it was part of that iconography that we didn't know who he was. Cause then he could be any of us uh, to quote from the most recent Spider-Man movie. He could have been black and now mm-hmm. he's not, you know? And, and so this, you know, good boy from, from Queens who always a- anguishes to do the right thing and real people know the word on the street compared to what J. Jonah Jameson is saying. Well, now he's unmasked and he has sided mm-hmm. with, the registration people and and so spider-man fans are divided over this within the comic which was kind of cool because it's 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 reflecting back to us what's happening with the readership when you also had that uh one captain america super fan who tried to shoot him yes right yeah but that's yeah. i think that's after they fight and after spidey beats captain america right or is no, it, no, no, this is oh, it happens right, right away. This is like within the first with this is within one of the issues where he uh, uh, reveals himself. I say one of the issues because I think he does it and it's covered in a couple different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Comics, it but across. It's it's in his um, in the uh, war at home arc mm-hmm. for him uh, for the Spider-Man Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. You know, pops up and says, I'm Captain America's number one fan. So uh, Steve and 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 Peter hadn't even had chances to lay hands on each other at that point. You're right. Oh, you're absolutely yeah. right. Because that yeah, yeah. then Tony's talking about how they can spin that and how you can you have to expect that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he but here's the thing. Now he has legitimacy and protection as well as the support of various establishment superheroes. And there's some people who are like, that's as it should be, you know, and 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 there is room in the world for people. You know, it's that whole conservative versus uh, liberal debate. You know, social order mm-hmm. is very fragile and and hard to keep. So when it cracks, uh, it's an emergency and liberty is really important. And some want more social order at the expense of liberty and some want more liberty at the expense of social order. And there's been historical things that have shown us like Mm -hmm. there's times where you go too far with one and times where you go too far with the other, you know, and it's 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 a it's a reason why uh, there's been concerted efforts by white nationalists to trigger um security at the expense of liberty at, from the perspective that what happens is you know they use uh, weapons or right assault style weapons in their attacks or whatever with the intent specifically of trying to trigger a gun ban with the thought that you know the um the confiscation of guns or whatever comes from it whatever they think is going to happen is going to cause those who care about liberty to be up in arms and so that that dichotomy being ever present obviously they're taking a, a very fringe perspective of mm-hmm. what that is like but still that's where it comes from you say fringe i say plank of the gop but yeah <laughs> so it's 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 not even a boy it's not even a plank it's like one of the floor joists yeah no? yeah it's it's yeah. the joist it's the joist part of the party you know yes yeah. right <laughs> Uh man. So he's got legitimacy, he's got protection, and he's got support uh, from various establishment superheroes. These are all three things that Robbie lacks at the exact same time, who has also been unmasked, who has also been outed, um, you know, in, in against his against his, shit, against his consciousness. Like he wasn't awake when it happened. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, and with with Peter, it's an annoyance because now he's got the paparazzi hounding him. JJJ's or J. Jonah Jameson is suing him for fraud. Uh, <laughs> God almighty. Oh, man. I almost um, choked when uh, JJ said that, you know, I treated him like a son all these years. I thought I I'm going to be apoplectic if, yeah. uh, before this is done. Like, oh, my gosh. Well, and he J, J, Jameson does have a son. That's right. So, <laughs> he does have a son. And I think actually he was one, an astronaut. Right. Right. You know, yeah. a colonel and an astronaut. And in this storyline, he is the paramour of Jennifer Walters. Is he now? Yeah. Okay. Um, but m- more more to it, I think when his son first does something with cosmic rays or something when he first goes up, his son ends up like being super hulked out powerful and fights Spider-Man. And Jameson, like, kind of pushes the whole like no 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 you keep doing with this power thing because you've almost got him so Mm -hmm. in some ways i think he did he was telling the truth he did treat him like his son oh yeah because he's a terrible father okay that stands yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so uh you know his his rogues gallery uh spidey's rogues gallery is also starting to take notice and plot against him um and unregistereds are viewing spider-man as a very unfortunate sellout but also they got bigger shit to deal with so he's a sellout let's move on Mm -hmm. Which uh, is interesting because Cap has a strong respect for Peter. He does. Right. And so there is, and is why he tries to appeal to him when they do fight, right? Yep. Like, hey, listen, you know, come with us. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Still a sellout. Yeah. And meanwhile, Stark announces his plan to hunt down, quote, all 30, all 137 of the heroes uh, whom he knows uh, and co opt Spider Man into it. Because Iron Man knows all the superheroes. Uh, Stark knows all the superheroes. So 137, it's very McCarthy-esque. Like, I have these names, and I'm going to make sure I bring them to justice, Uh, which is funny because this is shortly before Spidey does have that conversation with Reed Richards about Reed's uncle who was caught up in the McCarthy craze. Mr. Stark, have you no shame? Yeah, No, he doesn't, because the ends justify the means, because he's smart. And he is the ends. Yes, Yeah. And and that's that's the thing about the registration side is it's it's like you can you can be right for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And and you could be wrong for the right reasons. And these guys, I'm going to say, are wrong for the wrong reasons. But um, but I do understand why people want folks registered, because, again, superheroes are a, a huge danger to to the rest of us. If it had been a mere like you just have to get it registered like you get a license for a car. Right. 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 That would have been one thing. Turning them into federal agents, like Cap says, right? Then who right. does decide who's the good guys and bad guys? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which which does come into the uh the MCU as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, those people yeah. have agendas. Mm-hmm. Um the, the other thing though is like, okay, if you register it, I mean, here's the problem. If you register it, you are giving your name. Now, if you're allowed to give your doing business as name, okay, cool. But sure. I mean, it 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 does become. I mean, it opens up that it is a hairy problem. The, if you just even yeah. if they allowed for like a PO box, you know mm-hmm, what? Mm-hmm. You need a mailable address where we can send you stuff, uh, and a PO box attached to it or something. I something mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. give us a hotmail account. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know it, the the other thing is that there was a what if issue that comes out after all of this, uh, where the watcher comes to Stark, who's standing at Cap's uh, grave. And Stark is like, could I have done it differently? And, and of course, it's what if. So here's the ways it could have been done differently. And there was like one instance where it was done better, where it's the Avengers are the ones with whom all the heroes have to register. Hmm. 
and and Stark is just like crestfallen. And the Watcher's like, look, dude, you didn't know that that was a possibility. That's not on you to not know that. And Stark's whole thing is like, I should have known, you know? And so it's, it's this really interesting, like, you did yep. the best you could with what you had. Yeah, you screwed up and killed your best friend and and frankly, like sold yourself out. But but you, you know, you you did what you thought was right at the time. It's one of those things where well, I feel like that's being generous because you got Stark, yes, it is. Hank Pym and Reed Richards, who are in terms of raw horsepower mm-hmm. among the three most intelligent entities, right, in that yeah. world. Yeah. And surely one of them would have thought, what if we do this? But even even if that had come up, there's mm-hmm. no way that their hubris would have allowed for it, right? Because right. who's the who's the leader of the Avengers? Not forever, right? Right, right. It's you know, and the other thing is is that um, how to put this? Uh, smart people are really, really good at being tunnel visioned mm-hmm. and at reinforcing the tunnels of their own vision. Mm-hmm. I'm so smart that this is the only way. And no one else could possibly show me a different way because nobody else is smart as I am. And like, you know, half the things that smart people do uh, is to convince themselves that they're right. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a lot of solipsism in there and and sophistry. But so, of course, uh, the anti-registration civilians come out who are batshit crazy. And like you said, there's the one who tries to kill Peter and MJ. And you after that incident, you actually see the first cracks in the friendship between Parker and Stark. Uh, as well as Parker getting treated like an employee more by Stark. So until this time, family, 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 Peter, you're like a son to me. And then it's like, you're going to do what I told you because I told you. You already gave me your oath. Now shut up and serve. Yeah. And it's this real disconnect. And it's it's kind of like I I think the lazy way around it would have been like to show a picture, just, you know, a couple frames of of Stark with a a, a cup mm-hmm. of whiskey on the rocks on the corner as mm-hmm. he's talking to someone because that would have explained the change in attitude but instead he's just becoming a more distilled asshole is this drinking stark no it's he's, not no, he's it's as not. Say, he's sober at this point he's yeah. very sober and actually yeah. that comes into play later when sally comes up to him it's i, I want to say it's the final front line where uh-huh. sally and uh Uric, uh so floyd and Uric go up to him to interview him and she lays out the entire conspiracy mm-hmm and and he, his response is, you have no proof. And she's like, I know, I know. But you and I both know that I'm right. And yeah. then she leaves. And he, I, I, I think he has a cup, but it's not got alcohol in it. And then he knocks. Uh, and and I, there's a comment in there where he says something about like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to drink uh, or something along those lines. And then he takes his helmet and knocks it off the table. Uh, and cries into his window of the 132nd floor of Stark Tower, which, by the way, looks like Baron Mordo's 1980s outfit with the black coming up and stuff like that. Uh, so so that's that's Parker. Meanwhile, back to Speedball. He's on the cover of Civil War Frontline 3 um, and he's in prison like he's behind bars or I think it's uh, the cover has him behind like uh, barbed wire, I think uh some kind of gate or something yeah because he's pushing yeah. up against it yeah, yeah. it it ha- it feels very internmenty it does yeah. yeah um so well done artists mm-hmm. uh but uh so he's on the cover one of my favorite moments of dialogue happens here when ben urich is talking to reed richards about reed's projections of behavior based on people resisting registration and urich says what if you missed a plus or minus sign in your calculations professor professor richards and reed says 
You just walked upside down with me, didn't you? I'm not perfect, but it's a very simple model for someone with my track record. This is why people in STEM need to stay in their fucking lane. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me no, turn no. that back to sound more professional. No. <clears throat> this is my respectable colleagues who are in other fields of the natural sciences need to be thoughtful about how they approach the social sciences because it's more complicated than what are the physics of gravity and rock. I, <laughs> I, I just thought you were channeling Ed. Because uh, <laughs> it's funny. I am definitely the most vulgar of the two of us. Uh, but he's the one that swears all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, so Ben Yurick says, well, that sounds like a dangerous way of thinking. Reed says, dangerous thinking is what got us to the moon. Again. Yeah. With the, with the STEM. Like, yeah. Uh, like, oh, my yeah. God. Like, could you could you be more like, I mean, I <laughs> could you be more Reed Richards? And the answer is no. Yeah. Um, but. So then they go on to talk about the nature of numbers and Ben points out the many commonsensical flaws in Reed's thinking, including baseball. And Reed, of course, dismisses and disbelieves him. Mm -hmm. uh, then later in the comic, Robbie Baldwin is meeting with She-Hulk, his attorney at law. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, and her solution is to sit tight and let her work through the appeals process to get him out in general pop out of the general population, which makes sense. Like from a legal standpoint, that absolutely makes sense but it's literally his body on the line and she is invulnerable to harm like he used to be. And mm. now he's not. And she's like, you just wait it out. Like, don't worry. I know this is going to take a while, but just sit, sit. And she says, I want you to sit tight. Okay. We're working on a motion to get you transferred into a more appropriate facility. Like there's so much there of like, just trust the process, trust the process. And there is a level at which you do have to go through that process. I absolutely well, believe in that because revolution is much worse for the rest of us yeah but but <laughs> it's not her body on the line right it's not her who is like there is no rape is actually committed in the storyline or anything like that um because this isn't like you know hawkeye talking to mockingbird um but uh this isn't this isn't marvel max right, right? you know yeah. or or yeah. you know the avengers in the 70s um where you <laughs> God damn, like I'm glad we've grown. Uh, but but at the same time, it is hinted yeah. at that he is being sexually assaulted or under threat of sexual assault a few times. Well, and and he is, and this is, you know, I feel like pretty not maybe common knowledge, but pretty broadly known knowledge that often the people who do terribly in prison are folks who have harmed children. Yes. Because you have a lot of people in there who are children that were harmed. Uh and who oh boy, like, and they keep calling him baby killer. Yeah. Right? Like they absolutely that stays. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's obviously been beaten to hell. He's sitting in front of her and he's just about bald again. It's kind of this anti Samson thing going on. Um, and he's handcuffed and he's bandaged where somebody bit him. Um, and took a chunk of two ounces out of his arm or something. Yeah. Like yeah. He's like, yeah. I look a little underweight because someone took two ounces off my arm. It's like, yeah. God damn. Yeah. And and I think that's the crux of why I think this is a liberal way of thinking that isn't too different from Reed's, quite honestly, which makes sense because she's on the same side as Reed. Trust mm -hmm. in the institution and the data to solve the problem that is literally sitting across from her. Like, again, I mean, you're an academic. I'm an historian. I work, you know, in secondary education. There is so much bureaucracy mm -hmm. that I do think is necessary and helpful to steering the ship in the right direction to scoop up the most people out of the water that they're drowning in. Mm -hmm. and at the same time, there's a kid sitting in front of me for whom an exception does need to be made. 
I'm going to make it, you know, it's, it's that, that, that over-reliance on such things is, is the death knell of the person in front of you. This is one of those things in, in going back to like the conversation of Reed Richards and, um, and his statistics about predicting trends and on mm-hmm. a serious note, when you do, when you engage in the social sciences, I want to be clear, I'm not a quantitative methodologist, although I have taught quantitative classes, mm-hmm. um, research methods and that kind of thing. One of the things is you have to be able to reconcile anomalies because anomalies always happen. Yes. You, you can't just say that, oh, well, that's an anomaly. We don't pay attention to it. No, no, no. There is a reason that thing existed, right? It may mm-hmm. be a subject for further research. Um, if it's sparse enough, it may not necessarily indicate that there's a problem with our formulas or methods because you account for the fact that you're getting a wide range of results from human participants. And of course, humans do weird shit all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's whatever. But if I'm, if, you know, Reed Richards is looking at this prediction of trends, or if Jennifer Walters is looking at like what is most likely to happen, those are still probabilities. And the folks that are going to be the anomalies, the the outliers in the data are still human beings, and they have to be accounted for in real time and space, right? So that Robbie is sitting opposite the desk of her, and he's beaten and bruised and broken in places and bleeding because someone took a chunk out of his arm, Mm -hmm. like, Statistically, he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in real time and space, like yeah. he's as soon as he walks out that door, he's screwed again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and she, she also talks to him. Oh my god! Like I have an entire paragraph here of what she says, and it is absolutely correct, mm-hmm. factually correct, and it's also a bureaucracy that's put all of these things into place. So in order to fight it and to get people justice, you do have to work the system. But at the same time, he can't see out of his left eye right now. You know, and and yeah, yeah uh, what is he returning to? Like you said, when when this meeting's over, oh, it, it's very comforting to know that it's kind of like, you know, um, what is it? I, I am I have a, a irrational fear of about four or five things in this world. Uh, number one is snails, which makes no sense. It's irrational. Um, it makes no sense. It's not like they can jump. It's not like they can catch up to me. I could step to the side and I can I can have an hour of rest and they still haven't caught up to me, but I'm scared to death of them. I don't get it, but I fear them more than I fear slugs, which tells me I'm a, a good little Marxist because I'm not afraid of the homeless ones more than I'm afraid of the homed ones. <laughs> but the third thing on that list that I'm afraid of is vomiting, uh, which you get over when you have kids. Um, it just it scares the hell out of me, the, the being out of control. Uh, and then the fourth thing is cows. The fifth one is death, which is slightly rational, but I took it to an irrational level because like I'm not afraid of death in the abstract. I'm afraid of like when I die, even if it's at 80, that it'll be too soon. It's weird. It's dumb. I know. Yeah. No, no. Uh, yeah. One of those things. Well, I, I know people who like... <laughs> When they start to panic when they know they're going to vomit. I get, yes, I, I'm yes. not there, but I get that. I become a polytheist. I will make up <laughs> gods. Um, it's yeah. I I've spent an entire night with my back like on ice packs, like where my kidneys are, to distract <laughs> my body from the nausea, so that it goes the other way. And that's amazing. I I am still caught up on cows. Yeah, well, and that that brings me to the point. So if I'm being attacked by a shark. And somebody comes up to me and says, don't worry, lethal encounters with cows are far more likely. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. now cows, I think there is some rationality to it. They're bigger than us. They're dumber than us. They're faster than us. And when one moves, they all move. I, I, 
I think that is a reason to be afraid. They've lulled us into a sense of security. Are you also afraid of football teams? Because what you just said. Right. No, I'm not because I'm not a woman. So <laughs> there's a reason I don't watch football. Uh, not the least of which that they they keep concussing people uh, on a plantation system, um, which oh God. white owners, big fields, uh, big. Problem. No, the fact that they call it a, a combine. Whatever. Yeah. Like. So the NFL draft. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. Like, mm, I, yep. I've, I've, I've got lessons. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but no, I, I, it's, it's cows are frightening. <laughs> as, but if as I'm the, mm-hmm. as the old adage goes, you know, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than, uh, than attacked by a wolf in the forest. But if you cover yourself in bacon grease and <laughs> go for a stroll naked, <laughs> Right. right. It's it, this is the distinction that we make between you deserve it versus you have it coming. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. deserve it, but you had it coming. You got it coming. Yeah. yeah. So but, you know, like if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, hey, I know that your leg hurts right now, but, you know, 130 people died from cow attacks last year mm-hmm. and only seven people died from shark attacks. You're going to be fine. Like it's it's literally she's about to push him out of a boat into waters where there are sharks. Yeah, listen, we're going to get you to the we're going to get you to the beach. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, you just got to swim through you, this first. You just, you know, it's going to yeah. suck for the next twenty minutes. Yeah. Uh, now climb into your chum, and mm-hmm. you know, and and yeah, uh, he. I'm going to skip over her quote because it's it's you know five or six lines of just legalism, but trust me, it's there. Uh, and then he responds with, they're going to make me a scapegoat, Jen. Some maniac killed 60 kids and they're going to make it seem as though I did it. There was nothing I could have done. And then she does it. She does the thing that starts to break him. I think this is his breaking moment. Uh, and you know, you start to see the crack and it continues. She responds with, except not be there in the first place, Robbie, yeah. which is kind of after the fact, regardless of how correct she might be. Um, and I think their argument here deserves full airing at this point. She says, I've talked with the judge. There's some willingness to back down on their initial offer uh, if we plead criminal negligence. Again, you and I have talked about this. I think that's a very reasonable plea, actually. Sure. Yeah. In, in the face of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, is is he also ethically correct? I think that that case could be made. And he says, I didn't do anything wrong. And she says, Robbie, let's get this out in the open, okay? I want to defend you, but you're going to have to look at this through the eyes of the judge or the jury. You attacked a house full of bad guys while making a reality TV show. 60 children died. Now, she's correct at those things happening and at that mm-hmm. sequence happening. The connective tissue between those starts to fray as you go further. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, in the face of reality, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's being being very lawyerly, to quote mm-hmm. her cousin. Um, mm-hmm. But she's also scolding him and telling him that his viewpoint doesn't matter. She's gaslighting him, uh, and she's supposed to be re- representing his interests. Mm-hmm. And I think in her mind, that's not gaslighting, that's being practical. And this is why I kind of have troubles with her sometimes. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of being a lawyer is uh, is an element of paternalism. Of knowing, oh, absolutely. Right. Knowing what's best. Right. Well, you had uh, a guest on your podcast recently who talked about um, information from uh, yeah. one of the sources of information is power as well. And she has a working knowledge of the legal system. He does not. Yeah. She has power and therefore her information is more reliable on some levels or at least presented as such. Um, he says uh, 
60 children died because a nutball named Nitro blew himself up outside a schoolyard. Nitro, bad, me, good. See the difference. Jen, so you're expecting me to convince a jury that 60 children dead is just, 60 dead children is just collateral damage. Which is not what he said. Right. And but, there it is again. That's not but, the point he's making. But she's also having a in her head. She's having that conversation with the with the defense with the opposing attorney, right? Of, mm-hmm. um, you know, how does this play? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, but she's also literally telling him that he was saying something different. Mm-hmm. That's when people say, you know, in other words, I always I always fire back with my my old Neil Simon. No, those were the exact words I used. Like I use yeah. those words for a reason. Yeah. So uh, and and after a few more exchanges, he goes back to his cell. And as he's being escorted back, plenty of inmates are taunting and threatening him. And at this point, he changes his tack and starts to fire back at the inmates verbally. He hasn't done this previously. He challenges the main inmate to me to a fight uh, and the guards shove him into his cell, still handcuffed. And they say, get in there and shut your trap, Baldwin. One more word and you'll be passing broken glass for a week. Understand? Mm. So, you know, just wait it out, Robbie. We've got an appeal working. I think that is a, an Im, a pl- implied threat of sexual violence. I think right. so, too. I think so, too. Either that or because I've had friends who work in corrections. Uh, and and I mean that tense exactly as it is. Um, and uh, they say that one of the things that the guards do regularly is that, you know, they they end up having to eat there, which means their food's prepared by the prisoners. And. Very mm-hmm. regularly, you end up with broken glass or shavings of metal in your food. Sure, sure. And you just have to hope that it passes encased instead of, you know, sticking out. Yeah. Yeah. He meets with Walters again, and she's got a compromise for him. She says, admit guilt, get registered, and work for three years as a costumed hero, uh, doing community service and uh, training others, which, again, this is that whole, like, you know, Damien, do you do you really need to fight this? Or we've wiped the bad thing from your record. You can go on. And he sticks to his guns and she says, listen, I know it stinks, but it's truly a way forward or the way forward. That's an important distinction, actually. Um, I think she's probably right. I also think that in some ways she's acted in bad faith this whole way while doing her job as excellently as she can. I think both things are true. Like she thinks she's in good faith. I think the whole thing is in bad faith. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, if I, if I were to, again, going back to the paternalism thing, if I were to describe parenting to anyone who doesn't have a point of reference, I would say you're going to spend a disproportionate amount of your time getting your children to do something that they want to do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. Like they will fight you on the thing that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And similarly here in her mind, she's thinking this is, you know, this is what you need. This is what's good for you. This is mm-hmm. the best way out, that kind of thing. And he is sticking to his principles, which could, in a zoomed out way, look like just someone throwing a tantrum. Right. Um, although I do wonder how much of this is him thinking with an eye towards the future of someone's going to write about this. And I need them to know, right, that I am sticking to my convictions, um, at least if I'm, I'm projecting quite a bit in that sure. situation. But I have to wonder if that's maybe that would be a part of the calculus of the character, right? I don't think Robbie would be that capable. I think, I think Peter would be, I don't think Robbie would be. If you put Peter back at at the age of 16, I think he would be, but I don't think Robbie would be. Um, And he says, tell them I'll sign the day hell freezes over. Mm -hmm. Um, In the next issue, we see her fighting as she Hulk to bring in unregistered heroes in the first big fight between the two sides. 
that's, mm, you know, uh, although she's probably pretty good at keeping an alter ego. Like of all the people, <laughs> there's yeah. there might be something. And so meanwhile, in front issue, uh, front line issue four, Baldwin and Toomey, who's the main inmate who's running the violence against him, are in a boxing ring. And we see a brutal side of Baldwin that we have not seen before. And he's mixing his wisecracking in a way that comes across as nastier than it is clever. He beats Toomey in boxing, but then another inmate slashes his calf. And Toomey then breaks his leg. And the the pain involved in that activates Robbie's powers again ever so briefly. And it just flattens everybody. Mm -hmm. um then his mom visits him in prison and she's berating him in a way that only a mother could and then she also lets him know that his father's not coming and you really see the bitterness coming out in robbie in this exchange she says he's not coming robbie i think you know how he feels on the subject his son was responsible for the deaths of over 600 people she continues her guilt trip and then she asks him if he even feels remorse for what he did and he says i didn't kill anyone mom what happened has been distorted beyond recognition and then Maddie responds with, they've given you a chance, Robbie Baldwin, and all they're asking you to do is express remorse. Those people in Stanford de deserve this much, Robbie. Their loved ones died because you made a mistake. The least you could do is unmake it. You could still do some good for these people. Now, I still think this is full gaslight in effect. And I also think that she has wrapped kernels of the truth into this as well. Yeah. And this it's, is clearly maternalism because she's his mom. You know? It's it's very much... Um... It's like knocking over dominoes and only admitting the agency of one or two of them, right? Right. Uh, it, because the truth is, all of the heroes uh, had had choices in that, right? And Namorita yep. rushed um, uh, Nitro, Nitro into yep. a school bus, which alone, again, even if he didn't go off the way that he did, if it was just a normative explosion for him, would have been devastating for the children inside. Yes. Right? Um, and, and then, of course, Nitro's decision to do that. And I think part of this is also... In the way that people say that, well, boys will be boys, well, villains will be villains, right? So you have mm -hmm. to assume they're going to do those kind of things. But also, if that were the case, if that's how we genuinely felt, we wouldn't prosecute villains, right? We would say that, well, this is their nature, so it is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but no, like they made choices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, what the thing about this exchange is, I, I don't really, I think it's important to note that there are some things she said that are correct. You know, uh, they deserve remorse. Um, their loved ones died partly. And I think, again, partly because of a mistake that he made, partly because of his recklessness. He absolutely has some agency in this, but mm -hmm. to pin it all on him because he's the only one alive, which is exactly yeah. what Marshall indicated was going to happen. I think that's some horseshit. Um, I, I do think what's interesting here, though, is, is uh, also that he is clearly being changed by this conversation. He interrupts her final harangue with a very nasty, hey, this was fun, right? Next time, let's see if dad wants to come. I sure miss listening to both of you shout at me at once. Law, art, <laughs> which is absolutely a, a, a uh, yeah. callback to like his first series. Mm -hmm. um, and then she tells him he, she's not coming back at all. Ooh. And it's, oof, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. Spider-Man is facing a crisis of conscience. Um, and, and I do think their stories are very paralleled and I didn't notice it the first time I read through this thing. Um, but this time I, I, you know, was looking for it too. And what we look for, we tend mm -hmm. to find, um, but he's facing a crisis of conscience since he's having to fight Captain America. 
his hero. And he is seeing Iron Man's ends justify the means kind of methods, uh, particularly because Stark admits to Peter that he knew about Peter's spider sense, uh, despite Peter never telling him. And uh, he, he then says to himself, I think I need to go over the suit a little more closely, find out how much data is coming in and more important, how much data mm-hmm. I don't know about is going out. Mm-hmm. Which I do love that we do see that kind of addressed in Spider-Man Homecoming in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And it's it's hinted at in Civil War, um, mm-hmm. where he gives him a new suit, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in the middle of the battle on Yancey Street, Peter is confronted with Cap telling him what what's what. And he says, quote, I respect you, Peter. I know you. I know your heart. I know you hate what you're doing, but you think you don't have any other choice. You're wrong. You can still do the right thing. Mm-hmm. which again we see that show up in the mcu as well they have a tete-a-tete you know mm-hmm. and you know is you know even to the point of like you know where are you from queens you know uh, yeah. brooklyn um and what were you gonna say i was gonna say and then and, and then after all of that mm-hmm. uh quite tellingly peter does he makes he holds the shield as sacrosanct right yes because people are trying up. to yeah people are trying to steal yeah. it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he webs it up only in a spot that he knows that Cap can get to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he muses to himself while this fighting is going on. He says, "My whole life, I've ever really wanted is respect of the people I admire, Aunt May, MJ, and people like him. Finally, at last, after so long, I've got it, and now I'm about to lose it forever." And he still goes forward. It's there's this weird thing that that people do. And people do it. I mean, this is a very normal, natural thing to do, unfortunately. But it's the whole, like, I, I made a pledge. And it's like, yeah, but, like, it's okay to reassess. It, yeah. I'd rather be a traitor to a shitty cause. <laughs> the conditions under which he made that uh, oath mm-hmm. have been renegotiated. Yeah. It's been recontextualized quite yeah. a bit, right? Yeah. The um, guy who says your family has been spying on you. Mm-hmm. That alone is, you know, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, or when he had that sneaking suspicion at the front of, uh, or at the beginning, right? When that Russian uh, titanium man. Yeah, attacked, titanium man. Right? And yeah. then and then Peter's like, Tony, you tell me if you staged that, right? Of course I would. Yeah. And and he had, but he had the inkling, right? Yes. He's been fighting his own instincts yeah. this whole way through, which is a profoundly human thing to do. And yet one of Peter Parker's greatest superpowers is his spider sense, which is instinct. Yeah. yeah his ability well. to notice when danger is coming. And it's like, he's actively turning it off when it comes to Tony Stark. I wonder if spider sense covers emotional abuse. Like, is that, it clearly doesn't. It yeah. clearly does not. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, we've actually had this debate amongst my friends with star Wars is like, cause Jedi have a thing that's, it's called danger sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the gaming world, it's called danger sense. That's how it's mechanically breaks down um, in the novels before the great schism. And uh, mm-hmm. there, there became the legends and then there became the Orthodox. Uh, there was, uh, there are a few uh, books where they talk about his uh, danger sense and we see it expressed in different ways. And one, a Jedi notices like uh, as soon as, you know, as fo- Locke as foils an attack position, he's like, wait, 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 something bad's about to happen if we do that. And then at other times, you know, it's talking about it as like, you know, well, can you sense it for other people? Like when danger's coming, it's like, no, kind of only for myself. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, you know, it's fuzzy because it's, it's, you know, space magic. Um, 
but but same thing for for the spider sense and it's it's i think it's not until these issues that we find out that's pheromonal maybe that would make sense i don't remember reading that but that would stand to reason yeah Uh, as a side note a friend of mine has a idea or his argument is that the force Mm -hmm. is actually a a biological wi-fi uh and that that's why some people have access to it some don't because it has to do with like genetic carriers and things like that sure so it's really just everyone that's the jedi are just tapped into like a cosmic internet and and that kind of thing that Which, makes sense know. that that there's certain planets where the force is stronger and certain planets where yeah. there's like on Merkur where you've got Salamari where talon cards doing his thing and you've got these beings that create bubbles in the force that don't exist yeah. so you can block out the force because you faraday caged an area basically yeah. like bioelectrically oh that's interesting that that yeah. would help midichlorians make sense nothing's so. going to help midichlorians make sense <laughs> You shouldn't be able to cure the force with penicillin. Um, <laughs> At the same is it the time. clap? Is it the force? Who knows? Yeah, it's got that Jedi drip either way. So, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so, so Spider Man is is getting to muse about such things. He's getting to feel crummy, and he's getting to anguish over all these things, but in a far less lethal way. Even though he's fighting Captain America. Um, and while he's clearly having a crisis of conscience, he ends up choosing to fight on the side of the people he respects instead of the law. Robbie's struggle has him turning the other way because essentially he's being beaten into it. And I think that 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 cross, you know, that that crossing of of the of the motivations and of the methods is is really telling. Um so then in Frontline 5, uh, Baldwin is getting more and more brutalized and more, and it's he's becoming more and more brutal and, by his experience in this undisclosed prison. Uh, Walters meets him on the way to the new facility, and she tells him that the appeals process will take time, especially for someone who rejected a deal that the courts thought was more than reasonable, which tells me that the law is not absolute. It's absolutely open to ter- interpretation, and therefore institutionalized racism absolutely can exist because of the people who are in play. So I'm, I'm going to reveal a little bit of my bias at the moment. Um, oh, sure. So uh, I'm a critical scholar, which means I from critical theory which has its roots in in marxist tradition although i am i'm not a marxist um if anything the closest i come to is like maybe neo-marxism uh but it's basically this idea that power is does not have a telos to it right it's mm-hmm. not a teleology mm-hmm. it is what humans make it it doesn't necessarily trend towards a certain direction except through the use of human application and it's subject to the will of humans um but i know that I've heard, you know, lawyers talk about right and wrong answers in the law, right? Mm-hmm. That there is a right answer, there is a wrong answer, and that's sort of the basis of a lot of our uh, legal theory and that kind of thing. Now, you do have critical legal studies, right, which started about 40-ish years ago, mm-hmm. where they were saying, no, that's bullcrap. Um, there is yeah. no right legal application, although that is not as mainstream as one might uh, think if you were to listen to Fox News, for example. But the basic <laughs> argument I'm making is or what I'm saying is that like things like that that the court found reasonable really do undergird the point that this is what humans make it mm-hmm. right. There is no like only one logical conclusion that you could come to, even in terms of like the array. Because I have a a relative who is involved in in the court system, um, in the judicial system, who you know says that you may have three right possible correct answers. 
but even then none of them may be satisfactory according to whatever your sense of ethos is but there's the three and those three are agreed upon by whatever other people have said up until sure. that point um so it's just it's arbitrary <laughs> is all i'm saying that's yeah. a long way to say it's fake <laughs> yeah yeah and there's it's um it it whoever's in charge of interpreting the rules that day can decide so many things that will absolutely impact your life. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not a Marxist either. I'm more of a, and I'm not a neo-Marxist. I'm more of a Richard Marxist. I swear I left her by the river. Um, (laughs) Not a Groucho Marxist. No, not, not as much. Although I'll quote him more often. So, (laughs) but that mullet that Richard Marx had was glorious. So uh, I'm, I'm more, you know what? I'm, I'm more of a a Harpo Marxist. I really, you know, okay. Like to <laughs> walk quietly and carry a big horn. Uh, so, but uh, what do you call it? Uh, she tells him that it's going to take a while, and and uh, he he sees how upset people are for the first time because he's actually stepping outside of the prison. He's actually in a a, a protected vehicle driving through, and he's seeing. He's like, oh my god! And I think had he seen this earlier, he would have probably taken the deal earlier. Um, and maybe could have started getting into the therapy that would have helped him. But instead, he was brutalized for so long. So there's this priming that's happening with him. Mm-hmm. He's being brutalized because of his lack of liberty. And then he's seeing people's response to him still being alive. And he's shocked. And he says, that can't have been for me, for Pete's sake, which I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm speedball. Everybody loves speedball. And at this point, Jennifer Walters... She-Hulk reveals to Robbie that he's going to be held in a different dimension, that the negative zone is coming up and it's area 42. Uh, and uh, she also tells him that they're still willing to deal if he registers. So it's it's that Galileo moment, like, here's all our, our utensils that we're going to use on you. And it's like, okay, but you did just spend the last six months denying him all his rights, get mowing him. And he says, what, the same people who just lost 28 million dollars or 28 million veterans personal information off a laptop computer? I'll take my chances. Um, and and what I love here is that this is so incredibly present. So what he's pointing out is that there was a July 6 or July 2006 congressional hearing that where the very thing was that very thing that he just mentioned was being explored. On May 3rd of 2006, the home of a VA employee was burglarized, resulting in the theft of a personally owned laptop computer and an external hard drive, which was reported to contain personal information on about 26 million veterans and the United States military personnel. The VA secretary was not informed of the incident until May 16th, almost two weeks after the data was stolen, and the then Congress and veterans we're not notified until May 22nd. So this is the immediacy of comic books. So she chides mm-hmm. him again, implying that Nitro was again his fault. She says, we've all seen what happens when you take chances, Robbie. And she's get she's trying to like get him to take the deal. But like the words you use are going to have impact and it might yeah. not be the impact you want. Yeah, it's 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 get in the lifeboat, you piece of shit. Like, no, no. Right. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, and and he ends the issue by getting brought into the negative zone. Uh, and then we get to Civil War Four. Spider-Man witnesses the Thor android killing Bill Foster, 
and he wonders aloud for the first time to other heroes. Do you ever wonder if we picked the right side, Hank? Um, Hank doesn't wonder about anything. No, <laughs> no. And you know, he he actually says, you know, this was my friend, and that is like Hank's best buddy. Yeah, murdered so, by an android he made. Right, like, and this is not the first time that he's had an android that he's made hurt people that he cares about. No, no, no. You know, it reminds me of that uh, that line from Constantine. Mm-hmm. where uh you know someone he just met dies horribly in the first 20 minutes meeting him and someone says was that your friend and john constantine says must have been he's dead like <laughs> damn yeah. well and and we see this actually in the mcu when they have the ultron uh storyline except we don't have hank pym we have bruce banner no uh, but though, if they yeah. had made michael douglas make ultron like that <laughs> That would have been great. That would have. That would have. Or, yeah, I mean, it would have had to have been Michael Douglas. Uh, but, like, I guess more to the point is that, like, that they, they are pulling in the mm-hmm. Hank Pym's, like, reluctance and being dragged along by uh, by Iron Man uh, regularly in, in the MCU. And that's what mm-hmm. I like about the MCU is they do such a good job of fan service to those of us who are like, oh, that theme just got brought in here. Mm-hmm. That's cool, yeah. you know? yeah. You change the players uh, around, but that's that's okay. That's what the ultimates were. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and their version of Hank Pym in the MCU has like 98% less domestic violence. You yeah. Know? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. Um, so, yeah. And then Sue Richards writes a Dear Reed letter. Uh, Reed, <laughs> Reed suspects Peter and uh, Anne suspects uh, that people and people on both sides are questioning the side that they've chosen and they're questioning quitting. Uh, and of course, the registration people go out and and hire and microchip a bunch of villains, the Thunderbolts. Yes, and not just the Thunderbolts, though. I think it's it's because the Thunderbolts are already a thing, but this is you're going out and actively recruiting people who yeah. have been villains, and now it's they get to hunt down their nemeses. Um, but uh, they're chipped. <laughs> it's like yeah, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Luckily, none of them have degrees in robotics. Uh, it, it, notoriously not a scientist among them right uh, or, right, right? <laughs> trying to chip dr octopus Goodness right gracious. that's kind of his problem already you know yeah right so right, right. yeah um so in civil war frontline the whole thing is told through robbie baldwin's letter to his mom so the editor text is all like hand scrawled uh dear mom stuff He's more sad than anything else, although he tries to be flip. It just doesn't work. Uh, he has witnessed suicides. He's been strapped. Uh, he's he's strapped to a gurney and muted. He's recounting whom he sees. Uh, Battlestar is mentioned. He can't sleep uh, on his back due to uh, the attack that apprehended him. Uh, he's got lifelong injuries as a result of this. So it's not just that, you know, Area 42 isn't Club Med. Um, it's not like a cush prison. It's not you're yeah. living in the tropics. You're fine. It's Gitmo. Um, well, and and Tony yeah. Stark talks about how the ones who are not a technological threat are allowed to live in like a VR world, mm-hmm. which yes. seems worse to me. Like yeah. not being able to uh, being in isolation is by the standards of the international community a crime against humanity. Right. But being in this place where you on some level know that you can't trust your senses sounds like a special kind of hell. It does. It does. It, because, you know, there's always the 
I mean, you get back to the demolition man argument of like, I, I remember these things They're like, oh, it's impossible that you remembered these things while you're in suspended animation. He's like, well, I don't know who you've been talking to, yeah. but while I was frozen, here's what I saw, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had friends who've been in comas for, you know, like the better part of six months kind of thing. And mm. it, it drove them crazy because there was a consciousness going on yeah. and it just, oh my God, like I, yeah, whew, you know, mm. so, uh, Demolition Man, that's a deep cut. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Battlestar uh, is is injured for life now. Um, and at that point, Robbie finishes his letter with some serious depression and ends up talking with Reed Richards. Um, so he's literally witnessing superheroes and supervillains killing themselves uh, in Area 42. Like, if he's responsible for children dying blocks away from a house that he attacked, then who's responsible for these suicides? Not the government. Right. I'm sorry. Not the architects involved. Right. Right. Um, and and if these suicides happened and if Reed Richards knew about the probabilities, then he saw this coming. Or he has to admit that he was wrong about his numbers. No, impossible. Therefore, he considered these people's deaths worth it. Yeah. Like yeah. there's so oh, much. Yeah. And Tony Stark is absolutely an accomplice, a party to that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it it just it it gets grosser and grosser the more you you mo- more you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. He goes right at Reed verbally. Uh, they're going back and forth a bit because Reed's trying to study the. Uh, hey, you had a power surge. What happened? Mm-hmm. Um, and Reed is, says what I've been saying all along, marking that's the only time that that prick and I have ever agreed on anything. Reed Richard says, "You've changed, Robbie Baldwin." Yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. (laughs) So he's right. He's right. We will disagree immediately on that next sentence uh, where we discuss why he's changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But but for that, he is correct. Reed offers him a chance to speak to the conditions in front of Congress the very next day. He's like, look, I want you to tell people what you're seeing here. We can't always see everything, Mm -hmm. which I mean, that's cool if that's on the level. And I think it is because they do move him to do that. And I think Reed does want to make sure that he's doing prison the right way. But again, I come back to the title of this, that it is liberal fantasy. Yeah. Like we want to make sure we're doing prison the right way. We want to make sure we're punishing you the right way. You know, what's interesting about that is, mm. is um, so I had a student who was in the military for, I think he was in the army for like eight years. And he, uh, he did a rotation at Guantanamo. Like oh, he wow. was a prison, he was a guard. Now he mm-hmm. was not permitted to interact with the inmates. Uh, uh-huh. His was completely, you know, external security, that kind of thing. But it, it reminds me of how um, the there is this sort of acknowledgement in the way that some of these things are structured and who gets to have ex, uh, access to the prisoners and who doesn't relative to like the inhumanity of the situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like you only want certain people interacting with the prisoners. Um, right. A Reed Richards, who is effectively uh, just dead inside, at least acts like it uh, right. for a amount of the time. Right. I mean, yeah. he cares about his kid. I don't want to, th- you know, he cares enough about Franklin to do wildly risky experiments on him. Um, you know, <laughs> he is he is the poster child for or the poster adult for when you divorce. Sometimes the other parent should only get to write letters. Yeah. Like yeah. no custody, no mm-hmm. sorry. Like yeah. you, you very well might love them completely, uh-huh. but you are so broken 
yes. that your love is not a healthy love. It is not. Yeah. Um, so someone that removed from, you know, conscience, uh, for sure. example, yeah. could interact in the way that he does. Right. But you think about like, um, there have to be people that they are probably not keeping, they're not allowing to interact with the prisoners because it would be traumatizing. Right. Yes. Um, and that is in this context of a liberal fantasy of we need to get it right, really does get at the point that like, no, you have people that you are claiming to, to, to be monsters uh, who are being jailed by actual monsters, right, mm-hmm. who can do that kind of emotional work. And, and we come back to uh, what you said about power. Yeah, you know, it's all it, arbitrary. Yeah. So he goes to speak to Congress the next day. Uh, She-Hulk meets him, Jen meets him, uh, and sees him in an outfit that is very similar to his speedball outfit. It's like his speedball casual. Um, and he he is embittered, and his humor cuts bitterly across what she's saying. He says, quote, don't worry, this is exactly what I need. A good public flogging makes for good ratings. And that means a lot of people listening to what I have to say. And then he says what everyone else has been saying, and I think for the first time, He says, according to them, I murdered 60 innocent kids. There's a verbal shift that's happened there. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. According to them, I did it. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, It's also in that same vein of, uh, I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's displacing the onus of the responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like he's been rejecting the responsibility. And I think rightly, honestly, he didn't kill 60 kids. Mm-hmm. But now he's allowing room in his mindset for, according to them, I killed 60 kids, which means sure. he's shifting. Yes. Um, yeah. On the way up to the Capitol steps, Jen, who is still, by the way, invulnerable to things that he is not invulnerable to. Um, she points out that there's no security and that they've changed the route to the entrance for him and her. And the whole time the press is shouting questions and Robbie is actually firing back every time. He says, I didn't kill anyone. Why haven't I been formally charged? A policeman hit me. I don't know what I'm being charged with. I requested time with one of their attorneys to explain my position, but they never provided one. I didn't kill anyone. So he's back and forthing with the press, which you, you're never supposed to do. And she's not advising him to shut up. Um, and she's noticing there's something that's not quite right. And then we see a single panel uh, that recreates Jack Ruby killing Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, it is angle for angle, image for that image. was Lee Harvey Oswald, if I remember that right, was arrested being, he was doing the perp walk, wasn't he? Yeah, he was perp walking underground, uh, mm-hmm. like either an underground tunnel or in a parking garage. Yeah. And he's, I'm a patsy. He's responding to the police or yeah. to the press. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, you know, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I'm a patsy. And he's being, he's surrounded mm-hmm. by guards and yet still somebody gets in there and blasts him right in the gut. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and that, that ends, that ends that issue. So he has been Lee Harvey Oswalded, which, you know, if, if, if you believe Oswald, I don't, I, I think that he did it, but if you mm-hmm. believe Oswald, uh, that he's a patsy, that's not that different from what, uh, Robbie is saying this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. While he's getting shot, Spider-Man in issue 535 is being shown what the negative zone prison looks like. So which is interesting. Now you have only these two never occupy the same space at the same time. And I would have loved to have had a heat moment where you had the two of them talking to each other over coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, they they never occupy the same space, but they are always orbiting each other on some level. Um, And now the orbit is like just a switcheroo. 
So he's being shown the negative zone. Iron Man tells him that until people register, they'll be in that prison. No due process, no probation, no house arrest. Quote, yeah. they either sign up or they stay here until they do sign up. And if they never sign up, then they stay, they uh, sit there for the rest of, they stay there for the rest of their natural lives. Do you and get it's not it like, Do you I'm get sorry. it now? Yeah, go ahead. Let's say it's not like there's a nation on earth that has an extradition treaty with the uh, negative zone, right? So, yeah. And again, this is that whole, like, they're not enemy combatants. They're mm-hmm. terrorists. Yeah. Like there's there's so much going on there. But now Tony is openly baldly admitting it. And he he challenges Peter. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is what we're doing now. Yeah. Did you think this was a game? What did you think we were doing? Right. Yeah. Which is a far cry from like, you know, teasy teasy, family, family, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Now that I think you're all the way in, I'm going to just big dick you the whole way. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It, yeah, it's it's a it's almost him displaying a, some disdain for the naivete that he's leveraged. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like and, well, and yeah. I think that well, let's trace that back. He really hates himself. Oh yeah, he hates yeah, yeah. himself for having leveraged the naivete of such a good mm-hmm. person for corrupting mm-hmm. such a good person, mm-hmm. and therefore because he hates himself, he's going to take it out on that person. Yeah. yeah, he's gross. He's is he's not even yeah. Batman without the uh, alcohol or with with alcoholism and fun anymore. Now mm-hmm. he's just now he's just Batman. <laughs> well, at least even Batman is capable of confronting his himself with emotional honesty, not out loud. Good. But point. he does it like in the most the best Batman comics, in my opinion, are ones where we get to see inside his brain, mm-hmm. right? Where he says the things he won't say to other people. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like at least then he, he's capable of that kind of introspection. I think Tony suffers from such severe cognitive dissonance between um, what he thinks is the right thing to do and what he does versus like the actual ethics of the situation. I think you're that, right. That grappling with that would cause him to just blue screen of death right in his brain. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right because he has uh, posts of war. Uh, you see a scene where he is sitting with Steve Rogers' corpse, mm-hmm. and he's interrogating the corpse on some levels, and yeah. and he's crying and he's sobbing and he's admitting that he would do this again because yeah. it was worth it. Yeah, because it has to be at that point, right? Because if it wasn't, yeah. then you just got your your friends got a hole in his chest. Uh, for something that could have been avoided, not unlike that Uatu the Watcher thing, right? Yeah, yeah, you're, uh, geez. I mean, and good on him for keeping his sobriety through all that, to be honest. Oh, yeah. It, like, it, wow. If if somewhere along the line we found out that he was living off of eight balls the entire mm-hmm. time, wouldn't have been that surprised because, yeah. honestly, how do you maintain feeling? Yeah, and it kind of would have been more forgivable on some levels. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. It's... So Peter then responds with, you can't just lock people away. And then he gets cut off by Tony saying, yes, we can. And we have. And that's the end of it. And I'm like, God damn, Dick Cheney. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Then Tony tells Peter to apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Who's a good little piggy now? Uh, So, And Stark even goes further to say that She-Hulk, quote, can make all the motions she wants. This is outside the jurisdiction of local federal courts. This is an act of Congress signed by the president. Only the Supreme Court can intervene, and I happen to know they won't. Which, that's all the complicity. 
So fun fact, and mm-hmm. I feel like this is something they don't spend enough time um, addressing in this particular arc, mm-hmm. but uh, Tony Stark and uh, and uh, uh, Virginia Thomas actually have very lively text exchanges. Uh, oh. Who's Virginia Thomas in, in this? Clarence Thomas's wife. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I've only known her by her nickname. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Yeah. Oh, oh, Tony Stark and Jenny Thomas, you know, they're friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's flirting yeah. with her inappropriately. Yeah. It's never going to go anywhere. But like she finally gets to feel human a little bit. A little bit because yeah. she's married to the world's most notorious porn addict. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Which is nowhere near like the top list of of his horribleness. Like that's that's the most endearing part of him. If anything, it's maybe the most humanized. Yeah. <laughs> His his willingness to dehumanize others with with frankly something that's not a big deal, um, <sighs> like uh, not that the addiction is not a big deal. It just yeah. erotica is erotica. That's I I'm not gonna be bothered by other people's you know proclivities toward consensual erotica. No, sure, there. it's the it's the non consensual wielding it towards other people. That's yeah, that part. That's the monstrous yeah. part. See, I'm okay with like nuancing things and yeah, like yeah. slicing the razor kind of thing. I don't mind that you have the club. I mind that you wave around in <laughs> meetings with other people. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he says, uh, "Let's see. Uh, this place is not on American soil. American laws don't touch here. American lawyers don't come here." Once non-registrants come here, they're non—they're legal non-entities, occupants, prisoners, them and those who give them aid and support. But I agree with you on one thing, Peter. It would be a terrible thing to be here for the rest of one's life, wouldn't it? God, it's a lovely family you got there. Yeah. <laughs> be a damn shame if something happened. <laughs> exactly. Like, and I have a question immediately. The Inhumans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the star jammers, uh, the, uh, Excalibur Mm -hmm. Wakanda alpha flight, alpha flight. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I'm talking heroes. Uh, no, Uh oh, (laughs) Oh. Miss Marvel has been a hero once. Well, no, she's on the side of pro registration. Yeah, she is. Um, no, but uh, she, (laughs) she suffered egregiously during the Marvel's 1970s era. I'm willing to give her a little bit of leniency fact. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But like, so, you know, the America is just the, the 50 plus the seven territories. Like you can make that argument, but, and, and as long as those heroes stay elsewhere, mm-hmm. can Tony just grab them and lock them up? And what about villains? You know, is there extradition? Is there extradition to send somebody to where there are no rights? Like, I mean, this is, I think they call it a constitutional crisis. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and, and so Peter, you know, has just been threatened <laughs> like, uh, mobster like, which mm-hmm. again, power is power. Um, mm-hmm. and he's lost his father figure. He's lost his self-respect and he knows he's made the wrong choice. And he talks with Reed a bit too. Reed saw his own uncle, as we talked about destroyed mm-hmm. by refusing to cooperate with McCarthyism. And of course, Reed thinks that he was wrong to do so. Uh, and mm-hmm. Stark also tells Peter that as long as he, May and MJ are with him, they're safe, which mm. that's some hostage taking shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, Peter breaks the two of them out secretly uh, mm-hmm. from from the Stark compound, realizes his mistake, sets about fixing it, but ends up in a fight with Iron Man to finish the issue. And it's worth noting that not long before this, uh 
Tony sent Peter at least on one mission away yes. from MJ and Aunt yes. May, right? In yeah. order to get some air and, you know, clear his head a little bit. Oh, right? he he told him, I want you to go so-and-so uh, to this place tomorrow morning. So that's that's what yeah. this is, is yeah. I thought I told you to leave. Well, I didn't listen yeah. too well, Dad. You know, something, yeah. there was something along yeah, those yeah. lines. Yeah, yeah, So, and, which is already an attempt at reminding Peter just how closely he's keeping his loved ones to, you know, mm-hmm. Tony. Yeah. And where his power is. Like, mm-hmm. I can send you bodily away from the people you love. I can keep you away from them if I want. I can let you come back to them. Like, there's there's nothing good about about this. Like, you got to kiss the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, back to Frontline 7, we see Walters holding Baldwin as he's bleeding out until the EMTs get there. Uh, the exposition text is another letter to his mom. And here you see his final separation from his principled stand. Uh, he's facing his own mortality for real due to a physical injury and he muses over the juxtaposition of the situation he says i can't help thinking how this wouldn't have happened if i still had my powers i would have stopped the bullet but if this would but this wouldn't have happened if i never had any powers to begin with which i mean that's that's the really scary funhouse mirror version of with great power comes great responsibility it is. And you know what's curious about that is that, I mean, how many times has he been involved or, or taken a part in an endeavor to save the world? Yeah. Right? And it, and it's not that, like, uh, if we were to take a strictly, I'm not advising it, but a strictly utilitarian look at how many lives he's saved versus caused right. the end of, right? Right. It, the math probably checks out in favor of lives saved. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Um. And while that's a dehumanizing way of going about things, it's also kind of a relevant part of the conversation here. Since they're dehumanizing him based on his involvement with the death of 612 people. Yeah. 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 It's not the only math that's relevant, but it is at least a part of that conversation. And it's like, you know, if the, if the fantastic four levels, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the uh, Western seaboard of the United Mm -hmm. States in a fight with Galactus, that's terrible. Yeah. Also, Galactus was going to eat the planet, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's not, like you said, it, it, it's not the only math that should be done, but you're already doing that math on the other side. Yeah. At least be fair. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least balance your equation. Um, and what we're seeing here is that Robbie Baldwin is a kid who doesn't want to die and is regretting everything that he is this is the death of robbie baldwin in a lot of mm-hmm. ways which is a very normal thing for a teenager uh to not want to do is to die mm-hmm. and he says i regret that day i stopped being just plain robbie baldwin and became something else and he's starting to separate himself from the hero that he became and he's reminiscing about the new warriors and he admits that he liked the attention because he never got it at home and he his thoughts slash the letter blend with his speech as he's dying he says it wasn't us mom it wasn't the new warriors who killed all those people i could never admit to that because then i'd have to admit my friends are dead and as he's admitting this very painful truth that his refusal to admit guilt is not a principled stand but the reaction of a teenage boy to seeing how his need for attention contributed to the deaths of his friends and all those people his powers explode back into him and at the end I think in many ways, Speedball is completely dead and Robbie Baldwin is completely dead and all that's left is penance. And he says, I was going to lie to everyone in Congress, Mom. It wasn't the New Warriors' fault that Stanford happened. It was me. Everyone died because of me. 
I think he was going to kill himself metaphorically, kill Robbie Baldwin, and then whatever came forward would be what we're seeing. But instead, a bullet did it for him before he got to. So he doesn't even get to go out the way that he wants metaphorically. Um, yeah. And and I also I think that it's, it's really important to to bring up the fact that he is still a minor and perhaps we shouldn't be trying minors as adults ever. You know, <laughs> that's a novel idea. Yeah. So, um, you know, it 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 seems a bit odd that we make the legal distinction only mm-hmm. to waive it in particular cases. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it just. I don't know, uh, you know, but, you know, I guess a good liberal would say, well, we can we can waive it more appropriately. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And 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 certain folks would say, well, they're mature for their age. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, right. So he's broken. He yeah. what what he becomes after this point is stripped of all optimism and joy. And that is replaced with self-hatred. And that starts his his journey into being penance. So Spider-Man, the adult, the adult who's benefited tremendously from making what he's come to realize is a bad decision is now on the run facing lethal attacks to the point where the only thing that saves him is Punisher's penchant for mega violence. Um, His arc is going from comfort to suffering to clarity. It's literally existential anguish, abandonment, despair all the way through, but ultimately he's choosing the path that gives him back his self-respect and dignity. He's throwing off the expectations that were put upon him. Speedball's going the other way. He went from having an anguished, despaired, and and an abandoned life into being so beaten down by all of that that he internalizes it and and he internalizes the role that's been foisted upon him. He mm-hmm. starts doing the hating. And again, I think some of this can be explained by age. Um, he's a minor. Uh, Parker has lived longer. Uh, some of it, I think, has to do with the age in which each character came of age, though. You know, by Civil mm-hmm. War, Peter Parker's compass is set. He's a loner. He's ignored his compass for a few months, but he knows and he has run through the doubt uh, due to the company he keeps. Robbie Baldwin's compass was set, but only insofar as he had a community around him that would reinforce it for him. And then when you yeah. surround him by people that hate him, he starts mm-hmm. to do that. When it's brutally stripped away and things get worse... His compass is now set by validating why everyone hates him. And he hates himself for quite a time to come. His kids are sponges, right? Yeah. 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 It's absolutely. This is why we, you know, (laughs) he who controls the the stories controls the culture. You know, this is why you have to be careful with what you're exposing your kids to. Yeah. 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 Because it will amplify. And and of course, we can always tie that to stuff with like social media and what, you know, the Facebook papers found out about like depression and kids and Instagram and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's a swirling vortex of uh, an unreasonable amount of pressure um, that was barely bearable um, in real life in in the corporeal world, let alone what we have digitally. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Also a reason for why, you know, minors as superheroes is not entirely separate from, you know, child soldiers uh, (laughs) and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. On the other hand, one might also make the argument that like uh, waiting till someone's 18 in whatever context, whether that's the military or uh, uh, romantic interest is still creepy and exploitive. Yeah. Um, Because you're waiting. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, 
So in Frontline 8, Baldwin's being examined by Reed Richards, who's trying to figure out how Robbie's power is changing as well how, as how to treat him. Maria Hill is there, um, and she is not the the likable person she is in the MCU. She is very she's she is very um, coded as a shrew here and has been the whole way through. Maria Hill is one of those characters where I never know how I'm going to feel about her mm -hmm. until like when when she first shows up because mm -hmm. there are times when like no like she is she's a hard ass company woman right mm -hmm. like the company being Shield and once in a while I see at least in what I've read like some humanizing aspects right mm -hmm. but like she at least in my mind is notorious for manipulating um, Jefferson Davis right yeah. uh miles's dad once the universe is merged into doing a mission that he was probably out of his depth for right yes. and then leverages miles into finding jefferson to uh hide to cover up her own mistake right so yeah she's kind of an updated two-eyed version of nick fury though yeah yeah i don't i don't disagree with that yeah. certainly in terms of the moral ambiguity yeah so um it like she's much more <laughs> I think she's much more the white Nick Fury than she is the black Nick Fury. <laughs> so, one, um, one of my friends had a uh, conference presentation that I just love the title of, and that is that three out of four Nick Furies are black. Um, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, so she's, she's there and she insists that uh, he gets awakened regardless of the pain. She's like, well, give him morphine then like drug him up. Like just, I need to know these things. Um, so now Spidey and Speedy are unconscious and in the care of a Richards because Sue Richards is now working for the resistance and uh, she's tending to a broken down Spider-Man. They both are suffering at this point and they've both been taking opposite paths entirely to get there. Um, and so it's just it's it's a remarkable parallel as we go sinking toward the same basic. Does this mean that Reed is the only member of the Fantastic Four to side? With bird registration at that point, yeah, because Human Torch I think is still comatose. Mm -hmm. No, no, and, no, Human Torch yeah. is a part of recruiting. Because um, remember, he joins Cap and he uh, makes the the symbol in the sky. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because yeah, because yeah, he and Sue go out like in a yeah. costumed uh, mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Reed is the only one of the fans because Ben it r remains uh, very very neutral, and then Yancey Street Gang basically like calls him out for for being uh, a sucker yeah and then he heads to canada which i love the the vietnam reference there mm -hmm. um yeah which is which is cool but yeah she's 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 proof positive that reed richards is wrong um so they're uh in spider-man 536 he flashes back to the decision making process that peter undertook um the counsel that he sought from may and mj and ultimately the fact that he got on tv to go against registration or I'm sorry, uh, to go for registration, which is kind of this inverse parallel of Speedball's effort to get on TV, which started the whole thing off. Mm -hmm. So Frontline Issue 9, Baldwin goes back into prison and he's hardened and then some, but then a bunch of low-level powered prisoners stage a breakout and they use him as a hostage and the pain that they cause activates his powers and that ends up, ends up uh, canceling out the uprising completely by way of knocking everybody the hell out. Mm -hmm. uh, he asks, and then it ends with him saying, where can I register? And the smile on his face, the baldness of his head and the hunched over posture that he still has, they have him completely transformed from speedball into what he's about to come. He, he is, he's not Robbie Baldwin anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
And at the same yeah. time, Spider-Man's coming back from a consciousness in Civil War Six, and he's accepted on the team immediately. Luke Cage says, quote, it gives me a good feeling, like things are finally getting back to normal. And mm-hmm. Spidey gets to crack wise again. Uh, the road has been long, but Spider-Man made the right decision for the right reasons and is reaping the rewards. And he mm-hmm. says, quote, I need to do something to make up for all the bad moves I've made lately. So think of in terms of the hero's mm-hmm. journey and the monomyth and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Where yeah. uh, you have Spidey entering the underworld at this point. Uh, more literally literally yeah uh, and then metaphorically you have um you have uh robbie emerging from it as a new character yeah but yeah. but not a hero like, no no yeah he's he is the cautionary tale and he's again i don't think this is fair to him ultimately you know no none and of this is fair no no <laughs> but you know spidey still gets to uh reap the benefits it's there's there he's the golden boy and the attempt at of marvel to make another spider-man character mm-hmm. is being completely shredded mm-hmm. so back to frontline uh baldwin gives the father of a kid that died in stanford who was the rack the jack ruby character he gives him a face-to-face meeting and he explains that i registered and my only condition for registration was to set uh, that it was to set you free. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dad punches him repeatedly. And Baldwin makes no attempt to fight back, uh, akin to what we just saw with Punisher and Cap, by the way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, until the father falls to the ground saying, quote, all I have left is hate. Don't take that away from me, too. And then he launches into a recollection of his last day with his daughter, ending with and you killed her. And Robbie, well, yeah, I was going to say both beatings are examples of mortification of the flesh right as a part oh, of yeah. penance right? yeah because i mean punisher uh, but, penance yeah I mean, well and that's just it right because punisher's taking the beating that on some level he knows he deserves um yeah. you know and as i say you can like the punisher if you understand that the punisher doesn't like the punisher um <laughs> and then you know yeah of course uh, robbie's not going to fight back right because he's got that and so much more at least in his mind mm-hmm. coming to him right yeah yeah um and and then robbie's response is i don't care and it's like wow (laughs) like he went from i feel bad for this but and then always getting cut off to i don't care i don't care that your daughter died um i wanted you to go free uh and then he explains that pain is his constant companion because of his getting shot he says time's going to heal your wound but it's going to make mine worse before long, pain will drive everything I do. And because of what happened to those 612 people on my watch, it's never going to be enough. Compared to Spider-Man's quote of, I need to do something to make it all make up for all the bad moves I've made lately, Baldwin's is, I can never make up for what I've done, and it mm. needs to be painful. So... Reed Richards tries to talk Robbie out of leaving and in, and into and not accepting any kind of protective custody, telling him that it's tantamount to suicide. And Baldwin is darkly glib about this. He then goes off to burn the speedball outfit and then he puts on the penance outfit. Um, and there's a costume maker uh, who like this is the first time we've ever seen that dude, but cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has 612 spikes pointing inward, making him bleed, which activates his powers and the uh, the guy who made it says, whoever is this is intended for, you must hate them very much. I do. Who is it? I must know. Me. And then later he tells the costume maker, I've come to learn the hard way that the rules are the rules, like them or not, that the world is a sick place. 
and then it you ends, heard yeah. by Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and then it ends with him writing another letter to his mom. He says, quote, I now know how to pay for all the pain I've caused. 612 people died at Stanford. So every day I'll carry with me 612 points of pain. 60 of those were uh, those people were innocent children who burned to death in a schoolyard. Those are the 60 points of pain that will hurt me the most. Two innocent men died when they found me in upstate New York. Two innocent emergency workers perished because of me. Their blood is on my hands. I'll feel their pain every time I throw a punch. Every single point of my pain will be a reminder until the day I mercifully die. And all of that pain is fuel. And it's like, it, it, this is one of those, like he took all the wrong lessons. Yeah. And how could he not, given, given his environment, uh, <laughs> given yeah. the brutality of everyone? It's a so, slow suicide. Yeah, it it really is. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's a self-reinforcing cycle too, mm-hmm. because who can convince you now that your own mm-hmm. mother said that you owed penance for what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And so after he goes through the agonizing process of putting on the costume, which is blood red and gray, the costume maker says, wait, I remember you now. You're Baldwin, the new warrior. I made one of your speedball costumes. And he says, quote, Robbie Baldwin is dead. Speedball is dead. Now is the time. Now it's time for penance with a capital P. And you know what's interesting about that is mm. that while I don't I don't remember what exactly what the costume looks like, I, I have to imagine that the needles pointing inwards is, I mean it's it's probably visible from the outside. Yeah, it's no, not. it's not, not at all. There's a few spikes that come out from the outside, mm-hmm. um, but it's essentially like uh, imagine a blank slate for a face in gray, um, and then spikes yeah. here and there. But by and large, we don't see the punishment that he's doing to himself. So, and of course the red coloring would mean that the bleeding doesn't show through. But the other thing that comes to mind is that just conceptually, even this costume is ostentatious. Yes. Right. It's, it's, he's no longer though playing for an audience of reality TV viewers. He's playing for an audience of one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's tragic. And at the same time, it's, it's the kind of arc that, I think it's the kind of arc that we didn't realize we were creating for ourselves, but it's absolutely one that we had coming kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, He and Spidey are both still injured, but his pain is purposeful and he's chasing into it. And Spider-Man is recovering uh, from his pain. And of course it wouldn't be a Spider-Man thing if he didn't suffer awfully for making the right decision. So a sniper hits Aunt May. This is what's going to lead us to the one more day thing. Um, and and penance ends up with the thunderbolts working alongside venom and bullseye among others mm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Who, who's got yeah. the symbiote at that point uh mac gargan mac gargan has the symbiote at that point? yeah yeah oh oh it's that era okay. uh-huh okay. yeah now by the way what is the name of the fellow who is scorpion uh when it's hispanic scorpion um I'm vaguely aware of that, okay. but I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I know it was a thing, but mm-hmm. it, yeah. Because that's it's... clearly who the Scorpion's going to be in the MCU, because that's the guy, the, the guy that um, Adrian Toomes runs into in, in prison is is coded as being Latine. Oh, okay. So right. I hadn't thought about that, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was kind of excited about that. I'm like, cool. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's, I mean, they've got a very white America Chavez, but at least, you know, the bad guys can be brown. So, yeah, well, <laughs> it's 
you know, it's one of those things like it's progress, maybe right. not the progress we had hoped for, but it's something. Problematic um, steps forward, as you said. Problematic steps forward, right? I mean, yeah. anyway. But yeah, it's, uh, it, but it's right up there with like they're casting Bad Bunny as a superhero that mm-hmm. I only know about because of one line from a textbook. Um, so like the, the musician Bad Bunny, who is, mm-hmm. who is Latino, is playing El Muerto, who is, um, I literally know about him because of a textbook that I used for a superhero class where it says, and this is the El Muerto of the DC of the DC Comics and X, Y, and Z, and there's like a couple lines, not to be confused with the one from Marvel, and that's it. Like that wow. is and El Muerto is, is Spanish for the Muerto. So yes, yeah, yeah. All all those scholars have debated whether or not um how faithful that translation is. But right. but yes. <laughs> I love doing that obnoxious thing of only translating the article yeah. in any language. Yeah. It's just so fun because people are like God damn it. <laughs> and it, <laughs> so uh Bad Bunny also is a professional wrestler, isn't he? He's done he's I think he's been in or maybe there's somebody with a similar name. Maybe I'm not familiar. He's shown know. up in a few Royal Rumbles now, and I think he's had a okay. feud with a few people. It's it's interesting. Okay. Um, so in Nova issue two, uh Nova comes back to Earth very briefly to deal with the during the annihilation war. And because of Stanford, his identity got leaked to the public and Iron Man shows up with a shield squad to arrest him while he's eating dinner with his parents, because you're always on the right side of things when you're doing that. Um, His parents are shocked that he's alive because he hasn't been around for a while because he went off into space, um, which nothing gets dealt with enough in Nova Comics. How how does Tony do the math on that jurisdiction? Right. Right. Like, well, it's like, you just pinged. You must have been hiding well. It's like, I think it's that kind of a vibe. Yeah, no, I'm part of a in a space force of police. Right. I'm registered with the people who have say-so over me. Right. Way in it. Yeah. yeah. I am the entire police force at this point, too, because right. Right. all of Xandar has been destroyed by the Annihilation Wave. Um, and Nova basically says, yo, we got bigger things to worry about. It's a galactic level threat. And Tony's like, nope, you were jaywalking. Like, and he's hyper focused on the registration aspect, and he tries to co op Nova into registration support immediately. Like, hey, you're a space cop, you understand. Um, and Nova says, Give me a day to consider this. And I think Tony kind of like gets a read on the amount of power that Nova has. He's like, You can have a day. He soft pedals it because he will, he will turn into a thousand suns and just burn them all alive. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like, and, and I do love when Thor finally came back and just beat the holy hell out of Tony Stark. And like, he's like, I only, I was always pulling my punches because you. Were I left friend. for 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 fucking minutes. <laughs> yeah. And this you is do- what you do. <laughs> so meanwhile, Justice shows up. Uh, Justice is pro registration, by the way. And, and of course yeah. he is because his name is Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tells Nova what happened to everyone in the New Warriors, and he advocates for him to join the uh, good Lord uh, advocates for him to join the uh, registration side um, and join the initiative at this point. And all of this is aboard a helicarrier, of course, because mm-hmm. Tony Stark comes down. He's like, hey, this is my parents house. Let me just go up meet you, meet you. Eventually, he has to fight an old foe. The police are called. I think it's like Diamond Head. Um, the police are called and he, right, he's oh yeah yeah and he yeah from the nova series like yeah. not even like the new warriors and he's recognized as a hated member of the new warriors because he's nova right even though he quit it said so blah 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 and at this yeah. point the thunderbolts show up and he fights them until iron man shows up 
another plea to register, which he says, I'm going to take under consideration. And he goes back inside and his mom is mad at him that he won't register. And then his helmet alerts him that there's a being of great power outside. And Nova sees that it's Penance. And he's like, oh, I guess we're going to have to fight this new guy. Okay, mm -hmm. bring it. And Penance takes off his helmet and it's, it's Robbie Baldwin. But he immediately declares, <clears throat> Speedball is dead. Robbie Baldwin is dead. You know, all that's left is, you know, there is no Dana, only Zool. And it's in his best uh, Christian Bale voice. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Throat cancer, Batman. Mm -hmm. um, Nova, he urges his friend to register and make things better. Um, and that night Nova leaves. He's like, y'all are crazy. I got bigger shit to deal with. But before he leaves, Rich Ryder tells Robbie, don't ever let the government turn you into something that you're not. But by this point, <laughs> like, tell the wind not to blow. Um, that ship done sailed. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, I like to mix my metaphor. So when you said mm -hmm. that ship sailed, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I always say that train has sailed. <laughs> That's how, like my kids, un, they know uh, the saga continues better than they know Don McLean's Bye Bye Miss American Pie. And I feel like I've done something good here. <laughs> Listen, that duck won't hunt. All right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just a couple cards short of having both oars in the water. You know, it's yeah. just... So, and that pretty much ends his civil war run um, in April. So he ends as this very tragic hero with no, mm -hmm. no real promise of going anywhere past this. We have destroyed speedball, the end of optimism. It's 2006. Um, like all of these things are true. Uh, you know, pick, pick the young man at 19 who is now 22 and has come back with sciatica. Mm -hmm. Um from you know 20 month deployment like it's it's my least favorite uh season of Battlestar galactica with sciatica <laughs> right yeah you know and it's it's it makes sense that they would have ensign Rowe being the uh the the admiral of the 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 ship the sciatica you know she's a pain in everybody's back so but <laughs> um in April of 2006, though, Squirrel Girl, the ultimate optimist, that's her power. Uh, and I've done an episode on her, so go back and listen. Uh, she goes to Thunderbolt Mountain to convince Robbie Baldwin to not be so hard on himself because she has a crush on him. Which, if there has ever been a couple that I've wanted to see get together, it is these two. Like a healthy speedball with Squirrel Girl. This like, sounds like the height of I can fix him. It really does. It really does. Um, but like I said, if, if a healthy speedball got together with squirrel girl, that would have mm -hmm. been amazing. Sure. Like, you know, that would have been like when scream would get together with, with, uh, carnage, but the other way around, you know, but on the good yeah, side of yeah. things, but uh, you're right, right, right. So she opens the episode with a dream that gets interrupted by tippy toe, uh, which I just, I love squirrel girl. Um, but you're absolutely right. There is the, I can fix him kind of thing going on there. Uh, in 2007, he gets his own comic that's largely him dealing with guilt and PTSD of what he's gone through. In 2007, you know, the, the Pentagon is kicking plenty of people off the uh, the VA because they had, quote, a personality disorder that they didn't disclose. So they steal back all of their they benefits. They chose not to acknowledge uh, right. in, during enlistment, let alone right. the whole stopgap stop issue. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you've got PTSD is a very normalized or it's at least in the zeitgeist kind of thing um he's not healthily dealing with it by the way he's just dealing with it and and i mean because how can you deal healthily if you're on the thunderbolts like 
Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're you know uh, in between mission chats are with Matt Gargan and whoever the hobgoblin is that day, then right, yeah, it, yeah. Um, where yeah. Baron Zemo's you know grandson is the one in charge, and he's the voice of reason. Like, yeah, who, and and Ugh. yeah, and and this is the total transformation that I'm talking about. Robbie Baldwin is full circle. He's gone. He's back to being the background character in a larger group of B-listers. But he is not cracking wise. He's cracking self-hate. Mm-hmm. He, he is not optimistic. He is not any heroic color, which I don't know if you noticed the, the logo behind me. Mm-hmm. The, that's patterned so, off of his colors. Well, oh, I thought that was just yeah. an homage to Waffle House. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't like fighting. Um, <laughs> so I used yeah. to do a joke about, uh, I'll, I'll tell you later about an Indian food threesome, uh, that was, that was offered by a hostess. Um, but <laughs> it, it ties into waffle house in a painful way. Um, but, um, and it doesn't get better for a long, long time, to be honest. Uh, he ends up torturing nitro after going and kidnapping him from Latveria. So he breaks into a sovereign nation take somebody who has got asylum and and beats the shit out of dr doom to get to him so mm-hmm. really high powers um yeah. but holy shit and of course he wants his torture of nitro to be painful uh nitro quote speedball's an idiot in a bunny suit you're an idiot in a bondage gear you ain't speedball <laughs> like um and oh, Pennant, yeah and Pennant says i want you to try and kill me free shot point blank rage i want to see how much it hurts we're getting into kink territory. That's what we, this is. Yeah, and and I think from the beginning, people have been kind of calling that out. Like it's kind of missing the word "daddy," but yeah. that's that's about it. Why do you? Why are you bleeding? It's the only way I can feel. Right. Or, yeah. This way, I can climax my powers. <laughs> so, um, Nitro obliges, of course, because he's a villain. And after which, Penance feels all that pain, and then he launches into a soliloquy that shows that his grip on reality is slowly sl- is is not slowly slipping. It has slipped, um, since it's all about numbers, and it's tied to. And at this point, he's doing factorials, and he's doing numbers, and all kinds of shit. Um, and and he's recounting what happened to the people who died for whom his built his his spike suit has been built. Um, and he's all about these numbers and there's this many that were the children and this many that were janitors and this many that, you know, we were unemployed that day and this many, you know, just insane obsession with the numbers. Um, and when Nitro wakes up from having blown up, he's missing a hand. Another hand is in a vice, but most importantly, he's wearing the penance suit. And then Robbie Baldwin says, but I didn't make it for me. I made it for you. And at this point, you you see Baldwin's face. He's wearing those. You remember in the mid 2010s that people would like double pierce their eyebrows? Oh, yeah. That yeah like the snake bite eyebrow piercings. Yeah. yeah. He's got yeah. it in both. He's got who, those douchey hoop earrings from the, the mid 2000s, you know, where it's like gotcha. thin and then thick. I, I hope that this isn't like he the, is the aesthetic that you had in 2010. Oh, but, oh no. I was yeah. uh, in, in 2010. I was um very long hair and denim jacket and boots that was that was me okay um but this sounds like you know he's he's been to like a juggalo concert or two yeah uh, yeah <laughs> this yeah he he's probably got a line on some substandard uh dmt you know <laughs> <laughs> that's the vibe he's got 
Yeah. Um, so after he puts the suit on Nitro, uh, and it's so funny, you're like, yeah, in 2010, I did this. I was like, I was still wearing cargo shorts and Argyle socks and orthopedic shoes. I've, I found a look in 2003, and I've never looked back. Um, 2010 may have been the last time I could fit into my Metallica band shirts. That's nice. <laughs> nice. So after he puts on the suit uh, and after he talks about how he's going to hurt Nitro and why Baldwin beats him with a spiked hammer. And then Latvarian medics find him and Nitro is still barely alive. And then Wolverine, who had gone hunting Nitro during Civil War, is on a boat and he boats Robbie Baldwin out of there. And then we start to see this, this kind of redemption arc, this, this healing arc, which again feels very, very, because of the nadir that he gets to, this feels very liberal fantasy still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the redemption arc. I really do because sure. he does get into some good mental health finally, but mm-hmm. it's because of where they dragged him to. And it's like, you, you don't have to, there were yeah. other ways, you know, you don't have to literally go through hell to be better it yeah. it's like i tell my students about pretty woman that's a nice story that is not how it pans out in reality right right yeah, yeah. so i mean is this is this kind of like what we talked about in the previous episode about abject masculinity as well it is so yeah. when we think about so as a refresher for anyone who forgot or maybe didn't uh if go listen to those episodes they're a lot of fun but mm-hmm. abject masculinity is the idea of a designed masculinity or masculinity that is constructed to be at the same time um, discarded and disposable while also accessing immense power, uh, immense power and privilege. Right. So, um, in this case, Robbie is physically not valued because of the trauma he's doing to his body. He doesn't care about it. Not to mention the job that he's performing is one that carries with it intense risk and he is mortal. I mean, he has powers, Mm -hmm. right. But, Mm -hmm. um, he could still die. He can still be suffocated, burned alive, any of those things. And then at the same time, though, he has access to power resources uh, that get him to Latveria, right? Because he doesn't do that just on his own. He has sort of institutional backing. So he is, uh, it's a, a cycle of near death, often mm-hmm. with abject masculine characters, until eventually they either die or break away from the cycle. Right. So, yeah. And, and what I like here is that he doesn't, he doesn't heal perfectly there are many falters and false, like kind of like false paths along the way for him. Um, the Avengers initiative 25 to 30, he's in a rubber room. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately by this point, Norman Osborn's in charge of everything. Um, oh, Cause it's dark rain. And uh, he ends up fighting rage and his other friends because Osborn's in charge. Uh, he thinks that he's doing the right thing because he's being gaslit into thinking that he's now the hero that he should have been when in fact what? he's serving a dark master. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually that'll come to an end, uh, and he's allowing himself to be speedball again. And eventually the whole town of Stamford actually forgives him. Um, and then he forgives himself. And mm-hmm. even the mother who spat in Stark's face at the funeral of her son has forgiven him, which is a hell of an arc because he finally does the healthy healing, not the, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, you know, new, new year, new me healing. Right, um, right, right, right. So Why? Like I, I come back to why have we taken this happy-go-lucky turned up to eleven version of Spider-Man and just turned him into his total opposite in the mid two thousands through the twenty tens? And the answer I come to is the global war of terror. 
or on terror. Well, it is of terror, quite honestly, because we're uh, shooting knives yes. at people from 30,000 feet. That's terrifying. It's true. Yeah. That there is a knife drone conceptually is just wild as hell anyway right yeah like george carlin said you know one of my favorite things about humanity is that they invented the flamethrower there's a bunch of people over there i want to light them on fire but i don't want to have to walk all the way over there yeah yeah oh god yeah it's no i mean i think that i think that makes a lot of sense i think that you know as one of my uh colleagues put it you know we didn't heal through um since 9-11 I mean, we've never we've never healed in any sort of like legitimate right. grieving traumatic way right. right it was a lot of um spackling over the wound so to yeah. speak and yeah. i think we see that i think we see that with robbie uh wherein he embraces the grim to a a villainous degree yes uh, however you feel about nitro doing that to him was gratuitous mm-hmm. and did not serve any sort of point of justice, right? That was right. personal vengeance. That was um, torturing a man as a way of screaming into the void, right? For one's own uh, self-gratification. Yeah. And when then, Wolverine is your accomplice, when he's just your wheel man, you know you've gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. When when Wolverine is is riding shotgun um, yeah. and not the point of the spear, yeah. Right. Right. And And then to have that arc as though one necessitates the other, uh, mm-hmm. As though that redemption is uh, requires that that walk through hell. Uh, yes, is a sort of. It seems to me, in terms of the war on terror, like yeah, we did these terrible things. He becomes Tony Stark in some sense, right? He becomes the mm-hmm. ends justify the means and the right? self hatred and the self hatred. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, he clung to his principles as hard as he could, but he was powerless to stop it. And so then he gets with the program, right? So looking at his mm-hmm. overall arc, Obama spoke against the war in October of 2002. This is before the U.S. Senate voted on the authorization of military forces, before he's a senator. He was a state senator at the time, um, and he was at an anti-war rally on the day that force was authorized. And he said, quote, when I am this party's nominee, my opponent will not be able to say that I voted for the war in Iraq. He says that in 2007 in Des Moines. Um, just weeks before the Iowa caucuses, he says, quote, as president, I will end the war in Iraq. We will have our troops home in 16 months. Dude got elected in November of 2008. He took office in January of 2009. Mm-hmm. If I do the math, that means sometime in 2010, everybody came home, except that they didn't. You know, so funny you talk about this now. Just mm-hmm. the other day in class, we were talking about um images and ideological images, um, particularly photographs. And we looked at like the wedding shots of like uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, but mm-hmm. also uh, I showed them a picture of the situation room when they were um, the night that Obama, uh, the night that Obama had bin Laden assassinated. Yeah. Right. And the question I raised was, as we talk about the ideological construction of this and now from 10 years later, um, why didn't it end there? Right. Why wasn't that the last nail in the coffin? Why did it go yeah. on for 10 more years? Yeah. 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 It's now he took a lot longer than that. Uh, and mm-hmm. while George W. Bush used drone strikes 57 times, Barack Obama used them 563 times. He just cribbed from the Bush administration and hit the gas. He did. Like, now, yeah. this can partly be explained by better technology. Like one of the reasons that Bush didn't use drone strikes more is because he didn't have them available the whole time. 
Mm-hmm. Also, for the first two years of his presidency, there wasn't a war. Mm-hmm. So he's got it. You know, he's 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 getting to a technology late and he started the war late in his game. Um, Obama came into office while that was the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it took uh, Bush almost three year three years before he started killing brown people from 13,000 miles away. Um, now, that said, you have a guy who took a principled stance. Against Real late one- adopter, that one. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, Obama had a principled stance against Guantanamo, against Mm -hmm. invading Iraq and against using military might overseas to coerce other countries into doing what we like. He ran on that. He ran on being less hawkish than Hillary and certainly less hawkish than any Republican. But once he was in office, he let the system that was in place stay in place and he got co-opted by it at best. It wasn't immediate, but it took a number of failures, a number of compromises and losses on his part. But Obama became the liberal warmonger that that he is. I was going to say, uh, being less hawkish than Hillary is saying that you're a, at least a little bit to the left of Harry Kissinger. So I don't know how much credit we give you there. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. yeah, yeah. And he praised Kissinger as well. Yeah. Uh, like Robbie Baldwin was the same, though. He wasn't responsible for Nitro's exposure explosion. And he mm-hmm. fought hard against the efforts of everyone to pin the dead on him and the new warriors. And he refused to register. And then he lost and he got beat down and he ended up internalizing the hate and becoming an awful version of himself that he himself hates. Eventually he hits the lowest point he can. And then he starts coming back, finally reconciling with what he's done. And he has a redemption. And at the end of it, he and justice go on a buddy road trip together off into the sunset. We certainly like to think of ourselves that same way. And in the uh, in the wake of the Tangerine Demon, we certainly have rehabilitated the Chocolate Nixon. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's nice and tidy that way. Um, yeah. And it's still heroic and good. As fantasies go, we'd like to live in a world where a war criminal can redeem himself simply by painting portraits of the people that his decisions crippled. And we assume that they get the care that they need as veterans and we'll ignore it. Um, And we'd like to think that electing an octogenarian uh, in aviator glasses has stopped us from sliding headlong into fascism because we're doing it at 40 miles an hour instead of 120. He's not 80 yet. Oh, he's not? No, he's like 76, 78. Now, that distinction may be academic, but, you know. (laughs) Well, you are an academic. I am an academic. Um, Who, you know, ignored broken promises and increasingly toxic political environment uh, and then Mm -hmm. throws bones to us that we then, you know, divide amongst ourselves to to fight over. But the fact is, Robbie Baldwin was done dirty from the second Nitro blew up. Yeah. And we were done dirty by the Brooks Brothers riot and the global war on terror. Everything since then has either been worse than that or a less worse version of that. And, you know, at the risk of Monday morning quarterbacking, um, it when we think about like how Nitro, not Nitro, excuse me, how Robbie inherited a bad situation once Nitro went off. Yeah. And also accounting for the fact that he was complicit in the uh, in the events that led to that point, And it was his idea to attack them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, too, we could, you know, admit our own culpability. I say our own in terms of a social sense of yeah. the events that led us to things like the global war on terror and what have mm-hmm. you. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to speculate as to whether or not we could have done anything as a voting public to have altered, uh, you know, and, and prevented 9-11. But assuming that that was a fixed point in time to reference Dr. Who, um, right. like the politicians that inherited that situation were absolutely a result of our own um 
our own political will, or in some cases, lack thereof. Lack thereof. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A, fr- a comedy friend of mine said recently, inactions have consequences. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Where you can't stand still on a moving train. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, 9-11 didn't happen because Bush stole an election from Gore. 9-11 happened because of the policies that we had in place in the 90s, which were under Clinton mm-hmm. and Bush the first, uh, mm-hmm. that were, you know, tied to policies that existed under Reagan. Yeah. Um, that frankly go back to policies that go back much farther than that. But like, you know, you got your Cold War setting up the Taliban, you know, and helping Rambo uh, in Rambo 3, you know, with the Mujahideen, like all of that. Yeah. That doesn't exist just because Bush existed as president. Horrible yeah. as as we reacted to it, and and mm-hmm. as much as I will pin on Bush, it's not his fault that that happened. That was one significant, but one thread of the spider web. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. well, what have you gleaned about speedball? <laughs> Man, it's just sad. Yeah, in my day. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, but it, it it's true. I mean, these characters are. I like to describe superheroes, broadly speaking, as modern iterations of visions of the future that are uh, burdened with the sins of our past. And I think characters like Speedball serve as really interesting effigies for how we deal with social anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we can put them through nine kinds of hell and then still have them be the good guy. Never mind that we're engaging in some sort of idealized, in this case, liberal fantasy about what it means to have redemption and to commit atrocities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not knocking the idea of redemption. Ed, Ed, I uh, I am Catholic. I do believe in reconciliation. I do believe in all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like it's it's a it's a visceral process that shouldn't be romanticized. Yeah. Um, and the way that we, the way that that's done in comics, obviously romance is just an inherent part of the uh, genre. Yeah. Um, but it's still like, I don't know. It's again, I go back to like what I told my students, pretty woman's a good story, but the reality don't work that way. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And on some level it's catharsis and on some level it's self-indulgence maybe for our own behalf. Like we can lie to ourselves through these stories a little bit that like all the terrible things that we've done or that we haven't done for that matter, don't mean that like we can't still be a good person on the other side. And again, yes, I believe that's ultimately true, but you don't get to just, you know, go put on a new outfit, use a new name and go on a road trip with your buddy. uh, Right. At the end. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, stories reinforce culture to us. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's interesting to me that there's there's two things that we're working uh, with speedball there. One was that we're absolutely telling a story about ourselves and about our younger, our our inner child, if you will. Number two, the only real casualties of this this civil war because mm-hmm. Steve Rogers comes back. Yeah, um, he gets better. Yeah, our <laughs> uh, Bill Foster, mm-hmm. speedball. On, mm-hmm. on a different level. And then the two guys that Punisher kills. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Like that's two C-list you know, villains. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, it's okay to drag speedball this way because we were afraid to do lasting damage to Peter Parker mm-hmm. in that way. Like we yeah. we we found the cutout, the safe avatar for Peter Parker to go through this with and then we could just put it away later instead of like this yeah. is an enduring part of the spider-man thing 
I think that's fair. Um, I think that's fair because in that's in that same way that uh, he went, he was done dirty and he went through this terrible arc of penance. Um, we have this uh, sort of vindictive glee about yeah. dragging our heroes. Right. Yeah. But, but Peter's sacrosanct, right? I mean, right. Th- they did make clones, right? You got like Ben Riley and Kane, right, yeah. right? Uh, so that we can, you know, sort of knock around a whole bunch, but it's still like, you don't, that would, that'd be like betraying the trust of the audience to do that to Peter. Parker. Yeah, it really would. It feels in like I was, as I was saying it, I was like, oh, that's why we have a volunteer army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Our sacred children aren't the ones getting hurt, you know? No. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. This was, this was a lot of fun. Do you have anything you want to recommend to people to read? Yeah, actually I'm going to recommend uh, two books on comics that I think are pretty accessible to folks. And I use them a lot uh, in my research. One of them is called super black, which is by Adela Hunama, which talks about um, black uh, uh, comic book characters um, over the years, and I, I love it. It's an awesome book. I use it all the time, and it's very accessible. I think. Uh, and then the other one is "Your Brain on Latino Comics" by Luis Aldama, uh, who is another uh, eminent co- uh, comic scholar. Uh, and it is what it sounds like. It's all about you know uh, the uh, Latin community uh, as depicted in comics. And there's some great stuff in like about like Blue Beetle uh, and you know Miles Morales and things like that. And so it's a it's an awesome volume so if you're interested in learning more about comics especially as they serve as cultural artifacts but both of those books are really good reads awesome and where can people find you uh in the socials and and on the internet uh they can find me on tiktok twitter and instagram at ga cruz underscore phd uh they can find me uh on the podcast office hours with dr c uh where you know you and uh the illustrious ed blaylock uh have I don't know if I'm using that word right. Illustrious, maybe. I don't know. I think he's um, far more illuminated than I am. So I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, y'all have been on as well as we have, you know, all kinds of guests who are so much more charismatic and uh, enthralling than Barry and myself. Oh, I was um, like, damn, dude. <laughs> that would be, this is my That would have been a perfect state. part to like, you know, yeah. take a sip, yeah. then Barry and myself. <laughs> <laughs> then Barry and myself. Um, <laughs> So yeah, no, we 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 our guests do a lot of heavy lifting uh, and keeping the people entertained. But no, so so we do those things and um, yeah, 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 nice. Well, I'm going to recommend that people pick up the Marvel Multiverse role playing game, uh, the playtest rulebook, and mm-hmm. because TSR, I mentioned it a couple episodes ago, TSR did one in 1986 when Beast was still not blue. This right. one is a new system. It's it's written by Matt Forbeck, who uh, wrote one of my favorite worlds, which is Brave New World. Mm-hmm. And then he had four little novellas uh, based on Brave New World. And he has been active in role-playing game development and stuff like that. I've, I've talked with him. I, I'm trying to get him to come on the show, mm-hmm. uh, but the timing doesn't quite work out. You understand being on the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, but he did this one called, uh, he, he designed it. And uh, get it, check it out, play it. Uh, you know, give him feedback, let him know. Um, the one cool thing is, is like you're doing 3d6. And mm-hmm. if you roll the best roll you could get is not a 666. It's a 616. Hmm. I'm like, oh, that's cute. I like that's that. cute. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's so I, I have yet to run it, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing people do it. So and of course, you can find me uh, on, uh, on on the first Friday of every month. 
uh, all the way through December uh, at Luna's in Sacramento uh, with Capital Punishment with my new partner, Justine Lopez. Uh, you could find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, at uh, Duh Harmony, two H's in the middle. Um, and very often I'll be uh, heckling and, and bothering uh, Gabriel. So you can, where you find one, you find the other. So Gabriel, thank you so much for being a part of this today. Uh, and for the last three weeks, it's been a, a tremendous pleasure to get to talk to you about one of my favorite superheroes. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. So, uh, well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And as Ed always says, keep rolling 20s. Oh, look, you got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs>